Um, let, let's pray before we come to consider this, uh, this topic of sharing the gospel. Uh, our Father, we uh, thank you for the, your word and we thank you for the example of Paul and the Thessalonians we're going to look at this morning. We ask that you'd help us as we do this. Please teach us and shape us and uh, help us to live in a way that you want us to as your disciples of Jesus. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'd like you to share with the person next to you, what is the first thing that springs to mind when I say the word evangelism? Go. All right, uh, that's probably probably long enough to, to share. I'll come back together. What uh, what are some of the things that you uh, that, that spring to mind when you hear the word evangelism? Yes, gospel. Here, here, yep. Sharing the word with non Christians. My next door neighbour. Billy Graham, door knocking. All sorts of different things we, we think of when, when we hear the word evangelism. I wonder what sort of emotions that, uh, that kind of arise when you hear the word evangelism. Anyone want to be brave and just, you know, call out some... What sort of emotions are there? Excitement. Fear. Scary. Nervous. Yep. Anger. Risk. Yeah. Sorry. Strong. Love, maybe. Uh, what do they have in mind? Uh, um, guilt, maybe that can. You know, oh, I'm not. I'm not very good at it. I haven't done a good job. There's all sorts of different uh, connotations that the word evangelism uh, raises for us. Is that some fan disturbing people? No, it's all right. So we could switch it off if it is, but um, it's keeping us cool. So let's keep it on. Um, Evangelism has it can sometimes have negative connotations, can't it? It can be kind of a, a fearful, scary thing that we feel guilty about or worried about, and things like that. And uh, I mean, all sorts of things can come to mind. Maybe uh, pushy Bible bashers, we think of, of those, or annoying door knockers who don't listen but just talk. Uh, preachy Americans on TV, and and these kind of negative images, they're things that we can distance ourselves from and think, well, you know, that's not me. I'm not. I, I'm not like that and I don't want to be like that. So, you know, evangelism is kind of something that I keep at a distance. That's not for me. Uh, maybe that's for someone else. And, and then we kind of think, well, yeah, actually we do need to have evangelists with a capital E, you know, people who can share the gospel, maybe Billy Grahams and people like that. But, you know, they're the, the capital E evangelists and evangelism, well, that's their job. It's, it's someone else's job. It raises the question, whose job is evangelism? Uh, For that matter, some might ask, indeed some have asked, well, where is the scriptural command that says every Christian must evangelise? 
To which some people answer and say, well, Matthew 28, 19, therefore go into all the world, go and make disciples of all nations. To which others then answer, well, you know, that, that was only for the 11 apostles, and, and, which actually makes no sense. Because it wasn't the 11, it was the 11 disciples who were told to go and make disciples who, and disciples make disciples. It's a replicating thing that continues, uh, continues on. Furthermore, we, we can't kind of pick and choose with Jesus' words if we're going to take on board his promise that he is with us to the very end of the age. If we're going to see, well, that's something that, that applies to all Christians. Well, likewise, the command to make disciples similarly applies to all Christians. So there is a scriptural command. Um, and yet some will say, well, that's not, that's not explicit. Where does it say every Christian must evangelise? Uh, in the end, I think that's actually the Pharisee's question. The Pharisee asks, how much of something do I have to do in order to be regarded as okay? How much do I have to evangelise in order to kind of be able to tick the box, make the grade and say, okay, well, I've, I've done that. Which is really another way of saying, how little can I get away with and still be okay, which is thinking like the Pharisees did. Now, I had a conversation with someone the other week, and, and Jesus was mentioned, so whew, I'm doing well. You know, I, can, I don't have to worry about that for a while. I've done that, ticked that box. It's off my conscience for a while. It's kind of the wrong motivation. What's the right motivation? Well, evangelism, sharing the gospel, it must flow from the heart of the gospel. We saw last week that God is on a, on a mission to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. God is in the, he's in the business of bringing forgiveness and life and cleansing and hope and peace to the people of this world. That's God's mission. That is good news. The gospel, the, the evangel, evangel means gospel, is good news. You might know that, uh, that old song, we don't sing it anymore. Uh, we have the words of eternal life. How could we ever keep them in? Um, we have the words of eternal life. How could we keep them in? Well, more importantly, in the words of the Lord Jesus, recorded Matthew 5, verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Our lives, our words, our actions are to be a beacon of light. We have good news. Let it shine. Don't cover it up. God is on a mission to save people. And so Jesus came to preach, to preach the gospel, the good news. Uh, Jesus' opening words as recorded in Mark's Gospel. Mark 1.14 says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus preached the good news, the Gospel. And then he entrusted that task of preaching that good news, that Gospel, he entrusted it to his followers which includes you and me. Uh, he entrusted that not as a kind of burdensome duty that simply must be done, but as, as partners with him in this great life-giving work. Last week we looked at a, a couple of verses from uh, 1 Corinthians, 
from the Apostle Paul that, that kind of capture what we are to do. He says, For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. If you're a Christian, then you are a disciple of Jesus. You're, you're a follower of Jesus. You're a learner, an, an apprentice of Jesus. And as an apprentice, you, you do what the master does. You, you follow him. You imitate him. What did Jesus do? Well, he, he sought not his own interest. He sought the interest of others, that they be saved. That's the example that we're to follow. Uh, how do we do that? Well, in this verse, Paul points to himself and his own life and example as an example of following Christ's example. So what I want us to do this morning is, is to look at what Paul did. Uh, you might have heard of WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, this is WWPD, what would Paul do? Or actually, what did Paul do? WDPD. What did Paul do? Well, um, we're going we're to look at that. Uh, now, first, as a disclaimer... Um, I should say Paul was an apostle of Jesus, chosen by him, commissioned with the task of being his ambassador to the Gentile world. We're not in that exact same position, but we are still to follow his example, as he followed the example of Jesus. So uh, we're going to look at one case study, if you like, of Paul's ministry at uh, Thessalonica. Uh, His ministry is recorded there for us in, in Acts 17. So grab your Bibles and turn now to Acts 17 on page 1110, and Julia is going to read that for us. And have a look at and think about what did Paul do in Thessalonica. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Thanks, Julia. Okay, so what did, uh, what did Paul do in Thessalonica? He was there, it says, for th- three weeks, verse 2. Uh, he reasoned with people from the synagogue. He told them about Jesus. He proved to them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah that, and that he had to suffer and die and rise from the dead. Jesus, de- dead, died and risen. And he did that in face of strong opposition. Now, why did I choose this uh, as a case study for us? It's not really the sort of uh, situation we face every day and having an angry mob storm your house and drag you off before the courts because of your faith. And It may at first seem far removed uh, from our situation, but this is, this is really the background 
Uh, and uh, so what we're going to do now, and Julia will come up again, and we're going to read from uh, 1 Thessalonians and, and see how Paul describes his ministry, describes that period of time that he was there in Thessalonica. Uh, there's lots to learn here about how we should follow his example as he follows the example of Christ. Um, as Julia reads, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2, look, at, and look and consider what were Paul's motives, his manner, and his message. Thanks, Julia. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember you before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with, the power, also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we, are speak, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. 
The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Thanks, Julia. Okay, so what did you, what did you pick up there? What were Paul's motives as he ministered amongst the, the Thessalonians? What were, what were his motives? Anything uh, you, you picked up you want to, want to call out? This is a kind of interactive sermon uh, mode today. To please God. To please God. That's it, isn't it? It's, it's 2 verse 4, he was trying to please God. Uh, we, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. His motive was, was not to be a crowd pleaser. Anything else? Did it in love. Yeah. He loved them, didn't he? That really comes through, doesn't it? He, his love for them. Yep. Uh, 2 verse 5, he's not interested in flattery. He doesn't, he, his motive is not to, you know, to make them feel good, to, to say what pleases them, seeking their praise. He was God's servant. And, uh, and therefore sought to please his master, his Lord and God. Um, I think that's really liberating. That's a, that's a foundational motive, and that's liberating for us. We, we live to please God. I mean, so much of life uh, is, can be lived feeling like the pressure to impress others, to, to be accepted by and liked by others, to win their approval, to have them think well of us, to, to play to the, the audience that is around us. So much of life can be can be like that, but as, as Christians, to, to use a, perhaps a well-known phrase, we play to an audience of one. We play to the audience of, our, of God, our Heavenly Father. He is the one we are serving. Now, that doesn't mean that we say, well, you know, stuff others and what, I don't care what they think. But it does mean that we're not driven by what other people think or what they think of us. We're, rather, we're our identity, our security is found ultimately in our relationship to God. Not in what you think of me or what a friend that I'm trying to tell about Jesus thinks of me. Our motive, like Paul, must be to please God our Heavenly Father, not to please other people. That's our motive. Secondly, manner. What, what about Paul's manner? How did, how did he relate to the Thessalonians? What did you pick up? Gentleness, yeah. There's that, that image there of being like a, a mother caring for her little children. Uh, he, he speaks in, two, in verse 8 of chapter 2 of, of sharing his life with them. He didn't just, just kind of deliver this message from on high. He was, he was in it there with them, sharing not only the gospel but our lives as well. He, 2 verse 9, he wasn't a burden to them, uh, but he, he encouraged, he comforted them, he urged them like a father. And he, he lived an example of godliness. And again, this is, this is really important to us in terms of our, our manner as we live amongst people who don't yet know Jesus. The way that we conduct ourselves, the manner of our life matters. The godliness of our life matters. We, that we must practice what we preach. Uh, the way we relate to people, the way we show genuine love, the way we care for people matters. And we must be, like Paul, open, to, open ourselves to share not only the gospel but our lives as well. 
This really uh, reinforces what we looked at last week, the importance of being intentional, of, of making the most of, of our contact points that we have with people, of opening up our lives to people and connecting and sharing our lives. Our manner matters. Uh, well, thirdly, what about uh, Paul's message? What did you pick up there? What's, what's Paul's message? Anyone? Sorry? Keep up the good work. His message here is, is encouraging them. Yes, that's, that's right. In terms of what was his message to them uh, initially? Of them being, being rescued from wrath, yes, in one verse. Yep. The word? Yeah. In, um, where is it? 2.13. He talks about, uh, you received the word of God. Which you heard from us. You accepted it not, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God. Uh, that he, he spoke a message, the word of God. And it's a powerful message. See there in verse 1, verse 5, this message came not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. The Holy Spirit brought this uh, deep conviction as this message impacted and transformed their lives, transformed them in the, in the present, and transformed them for eternity. I think it's important to, to remember that Paul had a message. I mean, that, that was his point. He was there to tell them something. That may seem kind of obvious, but it actually needs to be said. Evangelism is about sharing a message. It's not just about sharing your life. I mean, how you live and how you live your life, that's important. But the message needs to be told somehow. Uh, when Paul went to the, the Thessalonians, we, we read in Acts, he opened the scriptures with them. He told them about Jesus. He sought to prove to them that Jesus was the Messiah, that he, he had to die and rise again. And he, he brought this message. And it's the message that we have. The message of Christ Jesus died and risen to life. Uh, in another place in um, Corinthians, it talks about when Paul was in Corinth and he, uh, and he, uh, he, he says this, When I came to you, brothers... I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Notice he, had a, he proclaimed the testimony about God. Then he says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what the message of the gospel all boils down to. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, I think that's really important because that, it actually defines for us what the gospel is. Uh, sometimes the message that, that people preach is, well, it's not the gospel. Uh, it's not that they openly deny the gospel, but, but Jesus Christ and him crucified, that, that kind of takes a, a back seat and we, we, we focus on other issues. We, we, and so the, the gospel that's preached becomes, well, how Jesus can help you to be a good parent or how he can help you to be, be successful or how you, he can help you to be happy or fulfilled or how to be healthy. Or the gospel that's preached becomes, well, how, to, how can we change society? How can we bring justice and peace? And all of those things are important, don't get me wrong, but they're not the gospel. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ crucified, that, that God came into this world, took on flesh as a man, and died and rose again to deal with our sin. To bring us back to God, to, to call us to trust and follow him as Lord and Saviour. That's the gospel that Paul preached. That's the gospel that we have. And that's the gospel that we hold out to the world. 
And that is a message that does transform lives. It transforms lives now and it transforms lives for eternity. Uh, The Thessalonians, as they heard and accepted this gospel that Paul preached to them, they were changed by it. They, they turned, it says in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 1, they turned to God. They, they gave up serving idols and they started serving the living and true God and they waited for Jesus' return. Uh, as followers of Jesus, notice also 1 verse 6, they became imitators of both Paul and of the Lord. They followed Paul's example as he followed the example of Christ. They were disciples who made disciples as Paul was a disciple who made disciples. And notice verse 7, they in, they in turn became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8 says, The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. The, the gospel rang out to others all over the place as it transformed lives. The gospel, this message is powerful. It transformed the Thessalonians and it transforms lives today. I'm sure many of you could testify to the transformation that the message of the gospel has made in your lives. There's something to talk about at morning tea. Ask one another, how's the gospel transformed your life? Or come at it another way, if, if you didn't know the message of the gospel, how do you reckon your life would be different? The gospel is powerful. Romans 1 verse 16, this is a verse worth memorising. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel is powerful to save. Well, how can we share the gospel of Christ crucified and share our lives? This is our our church strategy. This is what we are on about. Uh, Well, We do it by following Paul in his motives and manner and message. His motive, we we live before God, we seek to please him. In our manner, we we act in gentleness and love as we share our lives. In our message, we tell people the message of Jesus Christ died and risen. There's three M's, motives, manner, method. Now, to help us to think through this and to, I guess, apply it and think, well, how do I, how do, I do that? Uh, I've got uh, not three M's, but six R's. Uh, so you can see on the, on the sheet there, there's some room. You can write them down if you like. Firstly, it's about relationship. Uh, as we see in Paul, he, he didn't just share the gospel. He shared his life. Uh, we need to see evangelism as a relational thing. Uh, sometimes that relationship can take a long time to develop. Sometimes it's, it's a pretty short time. I mean, Paul was there... For how long? Three weeks. And this is how he describes his relationship with them. It was a relational thing. It's about loving people. It's about being committed to people. Secondly, it's about being ready. Uh, In uh, 1 Peter 3.15 it says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Be prepared. Be ready. Be ready to explain to someone what you believe as a Christian. Uh, This is worth thinking through and thinking about, well, what would I say if someone said to me, why are you a Christian? What's that about? 
In case you're not ready to answer that question and someone asked you later today, uh, let, let me give you a tip. Focus on Jesus, uh, who he is, what he's done, and, and how we're to respond to him. Good rule of thumb generally in discussions with people is point them to Jesus because Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's the centre of the gospel. Uh, or another tip if someone asks you today, invite them to explaining Christianity. It starts this Thursday night. Um, have Gab explain it to them for you. Be ready. Thirdly, be real. Be real about the fact that you trust and follow Jesus. Uh, allow God airtime in your conversation. You know, our, our world wants to censor out any talk of God. Don't let our world censor how we speak. Say things like, thank God for the rain or whatever it is. Let God into your conversations or, or, or tell someone, I'll pray for you. If someone asks you about your weekend, include the fact that you went to church or I'll tell them, you heard your minister talk about how, how God has given us some really good news. Whatever it is, let God into your conversation. Be real. Be honest about the fact that, that he is in your life. Fourthly, be, uh, rely on God. Uh, remember that ultimately we're living our lives before an audience of one. Uh, we are servants of God. He uses us to do his work. Uh, we, I mean, we plant the seed, we water the seed, but... God's the one who makes it grow. So rely on him. Uh, rely on him in prayer. Ask him to, to give you opportunities to, to, to share the gospel, to point people towards Jesus in some way. And you might just be surprised at how he answers that prayer. Rely on God. Uh, fifthly, take a risk. Be bold. What are we afraid of? That people might misunderstand us or accuse us of of being a bit too religious. Fire up, take a risk. Remember that we serve and follow and rely upon God. I mean, consider, consider poor old Jason in Thessalonica. I mean, he, he accepted Paul and his message. He welcomed him into his home and he ended up having a, a rioting mob invade his house and drag him off before the city officials. Following Jesus was risky business in Thessalonica. What are we afraid of? Take a risk. Sixthly, lastly, let the gospel ring out. If you trust in Jesus, if he's your Lord and Saviour, then let that powerful, life-changing message impact your life. and Let it ring out to others around you. In relationship with others, be ready, be real, rely on God, take a risk and let the gospel ring out. Share the gospel of Christ crucified and share our lives. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, of him crucified, died for our sins, risen to new life, coming again as Lord and Judge. Our Father, we thank you for the good news. We thank you for those that shared that gospel with us. Father, help us to, to share that news with others. Uh, Father, help us to, as your word calls us to, 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 to imitate Paul and, and as he imitates the Lord Jesus. Father, help us 
in our motives, in our manner, in our message, to share the news of Jesus died and risen. Father, help us to to do that relationally, to be ready, to be real, to rely on you, to take risks. And Father, please may the gospel ring out from us. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.